This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports at Night here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Rost here with you for the next two hours on 710 ESPN Seattle. Stacy, how you doing tonight? I'm doing doing well. I almost said doing good, and then I was like, no, Stacy, mm, yeah. don't do it. I know you don't want to sound pretentious, yeah. but just say doing well. You know you want to. And you you being the writer amongst us too. I'm I glad have, you, I got to hold it down. Yeah, you got to hold it down for the grammar. Yeah. out there. Shout out to grammar. Just mm-hmm. doing it every single day, every day, unrelenting. Never change. That's how you got to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what else hasn't changed? The Mariners. The Mariners. They're still winning. And even when it looks as though all hope is lost, well, which it they, certainly did, yeah, today. definitely did. Down four nothing at one point, down six to three, heading into the eighth inning. The Mariners scratch and claw their way back into it. They get the seven to six victory. They now move to thirteen and two on the season. A start that has only been matched by a handful of teams in baseball history. I mean, we're running out of things to explain how this season has gone so far, how the first 15 games have gone, and tomorrow will be the one-tenth mark of the season. Mm-hmm. A tenth of the season will have been done, or will have been completed. Shout out to Grammar. And, shout out to Math. Yeah, shout out to Math as well. We're going to get into some more Math later tonight when we look at some salary cap stuff with the Seahawks. I was really proud of myself for that, by the way. Yeah, you were. You were doing some hard numbers. I was doing a lot of scribbling back there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of long division multiplication, yes. addition, You would hardly know that I cheated my way through math. Yeah. Or got a two on the Wonderlick. But that's here okay. nor that's neither here nor there. Wow. Yeah. I'm leaving. I just threw you under the bus like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so messed up. Uh, no, I Curtis, apologize. I was in the two percentile. That's right, the two percentile. I don't actually know my score. <laughs> yeah, it was that low. That's how low it was. But uh, so much to get to tonight here on Seattle Sports at Night. Why waste any more time? Let's take a look at what is on the Thursday night timeline. And as we talked about, the Mariners, they win in extra innings today, beating Kansas City 7-6, to improving to 13-2 on the season. They got to extra innings thanks in large part to, once again, the ninth-inning heroics of Mitch Hanniger. Here's the stretch. D goes, pitch to Hanniger, swing and a fly ball into center field. And deep, Hamilton going back to the one. He tracked near the wall, leaps up, and it's off his glove. One run will score. Two runs will score. Hanniger to third. He's going to slide in safely with a two-out, two-run triple. Hanniger ties the game at 6-6. Six to six. Stacy, when you saw Mitch Hanniger up at the plate, top of the ninth inning, two outs, down two, sort of a similar situation to what he was in the night before. Yeah. Did you think he was going to deliver? No. No. <laughs> oh, not, little n- no, not in like, I, not in a bad way. It just. Uh, it's so hard to it, it, that's the get thing. a hit just as is, and yeah. especially in that moment. Well, and they had two outs, right? Two outs, down two runs. Yeah, and it wasn't that Mitch Haniger hadn't just proven that he could. It's just that um, you're waiting 
for the a regression to a mean. Exactly. Yeah. You're just waiting to see something like that happening. And as we're getting closer and closer, it's like answering a lot of B's in a test. And after a while, you're, oh, like, you're like, you're like, this has to. I have to throw an A in here because one of this these isn't is be wrong. Yep. And well, they kept putting B on their Scantron, and it kept coming up. Mariners, and in the tenth inning, Daniel Vogelback, as he has this entire week, came up with clutch hit after clutch hit, and then in the tenth inning, he went and left the yard entirely. In the three-two pitch, swung on and driven deep to right center field. This baby's a laser shot, and it's gone. Daniel Vogelback is given the Mariners a seven-six tenth inning lead here in Kansas City. Bogey with another bomb. His sixth home run, 11th run batted in. That thing was nailed. One thing we've seen from both teams here in town between the Seahawks and Mariners over the last couple of seasons is guys who haven't been big-time contributors in the past getting these opportunities to show what they're about. And Daniel Vogelback right now is taking that opportunity and running with it. He's got six home runs on the season, 11 RBI, and his home runs have been big each and every time, not in terms of the length, but in terms of the situation he's been in last week against the Angels in the eighth inning. Uh, and then today hitting a home run in the 10th inning. We saw him hit a bunch of home runs in the Chicago series as well. This is a guy who who is really asserting himself as a force in the Mariners lineup and making things a little more difficult for Scott Service and Jerry Depoto in terms of in roster In a good way. Yeah. A way that's hard to complain about, but you know that you're disappointing someone. It's the best kind of complaint because the Mariners right now have had so many guys having career starts to their season. It's an incredible position to be in for the Mariners. It's incredible that they're 13-2. and two. No one projected that. I certainly didn't. Can Maybe I, you did. Wikipedia, um, someone showed Lydia that Someone had changed his Wikipedia page to be Daniel Vogelbach, Daniel Dinger's Vogelbach, uh, and could... Wikipedia changed it back. Wow, well, Wikipedia. Those jerks. Yeah, just snuffing the fun out of that Ow. one. But also today, the home run streak that had been a big part of the first 14 games of the season was extended today, setting the new Major League record for most consecutive games to start a year with a home run. And it came from the most unlikely source, D. Gordon who is certainly not a power hitter by any stretch of the imagination, but he got into one, poked it out over the right field wall. Mariners with 15 consecutive games to start the season with a home run. And uh, if anybody's out there wondering, they did get that ball back, the one that set the record. Yes. There's, I saw some pictures on Twitter. that I don't know how they did that. Maybe it landed in an area where there weren't a lot of fans. Yeah, there weren't like a, a lot of Like a little stretch there. of, or like where the bullpen where they got some pitching work in. I'm not sure where it was, but wherever it landed, they were able to get Safely that actual it. one back. And I believe the team has already touched down, so that ball is safely in Safely the back in game. Seattle? Yeah. <laughs> Needed a police escort on the way back from the airport. Uh, also in the world of sports today, the Masters have begun. It started really early this morning, 5.30 a.m. I walked into Pacific. the sports pit. and uh, It was like the, four different monitors. Yeah, and... As I was leaving, yeah. Lydia was like, you know, heads up, it's golf time. Yeah. And uh, then I walked in, and it's just Kyle and Salk sitting there watching the Masters together. Like, when you have four different monitors... They are cur- all the Masters. And currently in front of me, there are two monitors with the Masters currently 
airing. I don't know if this is live or it's a tape delay or whatever. But I just yeah. don't care. I know. I'm a, Does that I'm, make me a bad person no, that works no, in sports? Not I know even that people, a little bit. I don't think golf fans get as defensive as as some fans of other sports, but I just don't. Golf people and like car people and wine people. I, I just I'm not. What do you mean wine people? I'm just people, people who are that like, like wine. Way into it. And oh, like, you mean they're like these are the tannins? Yeah, you can tell that it's a two thousand. Let the tannins breathe. They might all be the same person. Yeah. I'm just kinda, being real. You got to be of a, a certain tax bracket to be those kinds of That's people. That's the thing. Yeah, I can't I'm, afford to be I'm a golf clearly fan. clearly not. Exactly. Uh, but the one time or the, the, the only time I will be a golf fan is when Tiger Woods is in contention, and maybe that makes me a front runner, but I don't care. He is, to me, still the most interesting person in golf, mm-hmm. even though he hasn't won a Grand Slam event in, what, 11 years now? Uh, Tiger Woods was a co-leader at one point under par for the after the first round for the first time in five years. He made four birdies today, two bogeys, and I got to be honest, golf. Unless Tiger is out there winning, I'm I'm not going to pay attention. Is there to anyone else that that touches that level of of interest or celebrity in golf? No. Like, is it that it's missing that all that star level? Yeah. It's Tiger, and then it's everybody else. And I know we've got a lot of Jordan Spieth fans here at the station. But I can't think of a more boring personality than Jordan Spieth. He also has the hairline of like a 60-year-old man, and he's like 24. Whoa. Whoa I'm going to take shots at his hair. Well, yeah. he's a millionaire, so That's, he doesn't yeah, he's, care. Uh, <laughs> many times over, he's a millionaire. <laughs> Some NFL news today. Jacksonville Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette arrested after a traffic violation. It stemmed from an unpaid speeding ticket. From November of 2018, I feel like this is a non-story. Not a non-story yeah. in that if you're uh, in the public eye, it's it's not weird or abnormal for this stuff to happen. And you do have um, in your contract, you know, clauses where it's about your basically your like public-facing persona. Like it, it matters to the team. It it's does. their business. Um, I just. To me, I was like, I think that if it wasn't Leonard Fournette, we wouldn't have heard about him being arrested because he, it was like he was cited for a traffic thing, like for speeding. And then it was like he, they found out he had an unpaid speeding ticket. And that's what it was. I think. I'm not sure. There might have been a suspended license situation in there. But again, I'm like, this isn't, why is this trending? Well, I think it's a big I know we're talking about it. It's a big story in that I believe all of his guaranteed money from his rookie contract was voided because of this. So really? Now, yeah. Which I don't know. How so I the missed NFL the biggest can, part of the story. Yeah, I don't know how the me. NFL can get away with voiding an entire the entirety of guaranteed money. That's what makes it guaranteed. Like it's yours regardless of what happens. But because of this arrest, it, it voids. So like did they have it? Our, if you're arrested at all, or do they have any kind of thing? That I think says he's had a couple. I think something. he's had a couple of run-ins. He's also been suspended because of like insubordination. So within, I wonder if they had like um the equivalent of like a three strike rule. Yeah, like a honor code within the organization uh also on the timeline tonight science it's taken over a robot has made a half court shot what do we think about robots taking over because they're i don't like anything about robots i don't trust robots i don't want to see robots they're they're taking our jobs and now it appears as though they're going to take all the nba players jobs right well it can't it can't dribble or jump. Oh, that, so it literally is this be, thing. Yeah. It's a cool video because it's like the perfect 
speed, and it looks like someone just like did an animated version of so a ball going in from a half court shot. It, it doesn't miss it at all. It's like they mathematically figured out the angle and the speed at which it had to project the ball. It can't dribble, but it can shoot. So it's Clay Thompson. <laughs> can you sub it in? Yeah. Yeah. Like just, I got, I got the robot. Who, who guards the robot out there? He's probably no one. He's un- he's six foot ten. Six ten and has has range like that. Yeah, that's Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, like that's that's where we're going. Actually, Dirk's seven feet tall, so six ten with range is Kevin Durant. Don't tell us we can't have a basketball team here. Yeah, we'll you're just in one of the tech robots. capitals of the, of the country. Imagine the amount of savings in terms of like salary cap you would get with a team full of robots. I'm just saying. But how much closer do you get to just apocalypse now? You run the risk. Yeah, absolutely. What if then, that's what brings about the downfall of civilization? Is us just getting a little too cocky about robot basketball players? Yeah. Well, and then there's. It started also, with robot bartenders in Vegas. Yeah. And then there are those robots they now have designed to like unlock doors. That's too much. Here's the thing that's Can the robots much. replicate NBA Twitter? I don't think so. No. NBA Twitter, lit as always, lit just 24 <laughs> 7. Yes. I cannot get enough of it. Uh, what else I can't get enough of are these Mariners and how much they win and how much they have just destroyed everything in their path through the first 15 games of this season. So with that being said, are the Mariners actually good? Well, what if they are? They have a chance to prove it over the next six games. Are they going to? We discuss that next. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Ross right here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airline Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about 15 minutes here. Actually, coming up in about 30 minutes, it's time for another edition of Four Down Territory. What draft picks would you want to see the Seahawks make that would give that would have you give them an A grade? in their draft. We talk that in about 30 minutes from now. Four down territory right here in Seattle Sports at night. Before the break, though, Stacy, I I walked us into it, into the did. fire. I'm, I'm, I don't care. I'm ready to be in the fire. I want to feel the heat from Some the Coors Light Tech. Very line. not happy golf fans yeah. from the 425. You have to be an upper tax bracket to appreciate golf and wine. I'm 36 and like them both. You guys suck. Must be a Wazoo grad. Actually, I'm a UW graduate. Double major in four years. Neither one of us went to Wazoo. And the biggest coog at our station, been watching the Masters all day. Yeah. Jim Moore. The two biggest, Kyle and Jim Moore, have been glued to... Yeah, have been glued to the Masters coverage. So, like... Yeah, sorry, 425. Yeah. Also, 425, like, did you even go to UW? Cause that's Yo, four two five. What if we both went there and you're hating on a fellow husky right Whoa. now? Wow, not wow. cool, bro. Not Way cool. to show loyalty. Not. We gotta stick together. Yeah. Also, from the two five three, the green jacket is rather cool. I mean, shout out to the <laughs> shout out to the green jacket. I mean, that'd be a cool thing to to wear wherever you go. From the two oh six, golf is not a sport. From the, another four two five, I'm thirty. Live with my parents. Love golf. Explain that, Ross. <laughs> Honestly, like. <laughs> Yeah, I got got right there. Uh, 206 says, it's a pastime. Yeah, it was in the past, and now it's time to move forward. My favorite was the one that we missed, which is a little further down, where they said, the green jacket's pretty cool. Yeah. I just like the casual observation of, like, I'm not even going to defend golf. I'm just going to say, look. Hey, 
you get to play around some lakes. Yeah, you get to uh, go to Amen Corner, and as Dave Wyman once, or as he put it today, he called it McGillicuddy's Cabin, which I don't even know if that's a thing, which was so incredibly hilarious. Uh, but yeah, so shout out to golf fans. I mean, if you're out there listening to us, we appreciate you. Don't forget that. Like, we really do appreciate we you. We just, but, but golf here's just the thing. isn't the steez. We have not changed our minds. No, <laughs> and we will not. As I also well. like someone saying, uh, they were talking about your robot basketball story from the 509. Robot basketball is cool, but can you discuss whether Vogie is Babe Ruth reincarnated? It's a good question. I mean, he's certainly built like Babe Ruth. Uh, I would say if you put Daniel Vogel back in Babe Ruth's time era, he's going to hit 9,000 home runs every single year because you had people playing part-time baseball like coming straight from their factory smoking job. cigarettes in yeah, between innings exactly and you put somebody that like has actually trained and has you know dedicated his life to playing this sport the way daniel vogelback has yeah. for his what 26 years here on earth like daniel vogelback would hit nine thousand home runs but if he bodies played in are the just 1920s. different that's the thing it's i mean and training bodies and strength are, and everything have yeah. changed over time. I feel like when people try to make that argument, you've got to look at it in the context of that time. I don't think he's making that argument. It's a really funny joke. But, um, you know, like Babe Ruth for his time, when you look at those isolated things, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. So, I mean, he got it going. But right now, the Mariners 13-2 and on the season, but they've got a big, big opportunity over the next six games here in Seattle. T-Mobile Park, that's the place we you want to be this weekend as the Houston Astros come to town. But there are two separate columns right now on 710sports.com, one written by Brent Stecker, one written by Danny O'Neill about the Mariners' hot start. And they ask the question, what if the Mariners are good? Now, Stacy, you have... You know, you being a part of 710sports.com, you see each and everything. I would that say comes the heart of 710sports.com. The pulse, the heartbeat of what goes on on our website. In my mind. Well, Brent I does think, most of the work, but yeah. then I just take most of the glory. There you go. That's, and that's what matters. That's the best way to go about it. You have scoured through both of these articles. What were some of the most interesting things that stuck out to you from what Brent Stecker and Danny O'Neill had to say about the Mariners start and whether or not this is real? I think Danny's was interesting. So Danny just wrote about what if the Mariners are good. And his is, look, I don't think that they're going to have a 138-win season because at at the rate that they're at now, that's what they would get. And he's like, that's not what I'm saying. And so, you know, before people start saying, like, it's it's World Series or bust, he's just saying, what if they are legitimately – like a wild card contender. What if they are legitimately better than than even uh, Service and Depoto were anticipating they would be? And and you know maybe you shouldn't be complaining about it, and you should just write it out and see what happens here. And then um, Brent he said uh, that the fans are about to find out whether or not the Mariners are. Yesterday you mentioned that it can't be flukish, so that that will be put to the test whether or not they are a believable. Uh, team uh, in this upcoming home stretch. Brian Kenny of MLB Network, he joined Danny David Moore just a couple hours ago. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you do so on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on podcast. You can find us there. You can find Danny David Moore there. You can find all the shows there. But Brian Kenny of MLB Network, he joined the show and was asked a simple question. Are the Mariners actually good? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a good team. Um, how sustainable, I don't know pitching-wise, but it's an interesting lineup. We spoke about that at spring training. And they run the bases very well. You know, even like Mitch Hanniger, who, you know, showed off again, quality at bats. We know there's guys in the lineup that can do that. And they run very well. I think they're, they're second to the Rays in base running runs this year. So, you know, they're a team that looks like it, it plays well on the field. It's a matter of can the pitching actually be there for them to make this realistic. But either way, they're 11 games over 500. That's in the bank. And you can't take the 13 wins away that the Mariners have gotten. And banking these 13 wins right now makes the rest of the season easier to reach these win projections that so many people had the Mariners pegged for. If the Mariners finish with 70 wins the way everybody kind of had them ballparked at this season, that means they've got to win just 57 more games the rest of the way, and that would mean that things would have gone in the exact opposite direction the rest of the season. Are you thinking, though, that they'll end up in the same place they always have, which is you're just... 85, 86 Yeah, that you're outside of a wild card and... You know, maybe you were, you know, a trend for a while, but you just are right where you started last year. That is, I think, the biggest risk when it comes to what you're doing right now. When I look at top-level talent in the American League, I think the Yankees have more. I think Houston has more. I think Cleveland has more. I think Boston has more. But there are five teams that make the postseason in the American League every single season. Can you say that Oakland has more top-level talent than the Mariners? Remains to be seen. Who else in the American League can say or is even in that conversation? Toronto isn't. Tampa Tampa Bay certainly is right now. They have the second-best record in baseball behind the Mariners. So right now, I look at the American League as kind of after 15 games. But don't you still think it's too early? Like, like couldn't a team like the A's or the A's again, you see – that late season shift sometimes, or mid season shift, where a team just comes yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, where they click it on the way Oakland did last year, where they were there were double digit games out of the American League West race in May and June, and then by the end of the season they had surpassed the Mariners and ended up beating them in the wild card mm-hmm. race by double digit games. So they they picked up twenty something games on the Mariners at some point last year, which. Right now, the Mariners have just a four-game lead in the American League West because you look at the rest of the American League West, the Mariners aren't the only team winning right now. The Astros and the Is it Angels, no team below 500 right now? Uh, I think the Rangers are still below 500, okay. but everybody else is still winning. The Angels have won six straight. The Astros have won six straight. The Mariners, they've also won six straight. I think the the A's have a winning record. Uh, yeah, 9-8 and eight are the A's, 7-6 and six, the Angels, 8-5 and five, the Astros. The Mariners are 13-2. and two. Every single team has won their last game. The A's have a three-game winning streak. Everybody else has six. I mean, it's a very competitive division right now. But getting back to the Mariners and if this is real or not, last year we looked at run differential as the, the end-all, be-all stat with the Mariners and whether or not that was going to dictate if they were real or not, where they had a negative run differential for a large portion of the season and yet had a winning record. This year they have a winning record, and a winning record by a lot. And then the run differential is the best in baseball. 42 runs per game, or forty not per game, but 42 is what their run differential is. Brian Kenny talked about that and mentioned, 
the run differential could be a reason why you could consider them to be for real. I think when you get off to the start with the run differential, it is a little more real than you think. Now, I think, you know, there'll be some regression. The pitching, I don't think, is deep enough. And I think um, it's going to come down to, does Jerry DePoto, after reimagining this lineup and selling off a lot of parts, does he start buying again if there's still 10 or 11 games over 500 sometime in June or July? Now that is the real question, or not the real question, but it's another question on top of this. If they're for real, what does that mean for the step-back plan? We're going to get into that coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Ross right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. About 15 minutes from now here on Seattle Sports at Night, four down territory, four of the biggest Seahawks questions your mind can even imagine coming your way in about 15 minutes, including, is there an offensive player in this draft? That would be worth staying put for at pick number 21 if you're the Seattle Seahawks. We get into that in about 15 minutes. You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Accurate dealers before the break. Kind of left you hanging uh, a cliffhanger, as it were. If the Mariners are for real, then what does that mean for this step-back plan? What does it mean for the retooling of the organization if, in fact, this is a Mariners ball club that is going to rattle off a a ridiculous amount of wins, a historic rate at which they're going right now. I mean, obviously, thirteen and two is not something that can be sustained over a hundred sixty two game schedule because mm-hmm. even the best teams ever lose fifty to sixty games. Well, a year. and you've got some problems that are going to rear their heads. Injuries, like are you said, happen. well, injuries are going to happen, and then you've got when you don't have a five run lead. Like you mentioned the other day, you're going to notice issues with your bullpen when it's a close game. Yeah, in in the seventh. Yeah, because on Sunday the Mariners were up, I think eleven to two at one point, and Chicago trimmed it to eleven to five. But since the Mariners had such a huge lead at that point, yeah. it didn't matter. It just it did not matter. But imagine that it's a two and two game. Yeah, imagine or- the Mariners have a two run lead heading into the eighth inning, going up against Houston this weekend which I don't think Houston's going to be falling down 12-2 to at any point in this weekend right. series. But we said that about the Red Sox heading into the season. But and they've had a little more time now, right? Look yes. at the Red Sox record even versus Houston. Houston, I think, has made it clear that they're certainly still a top team. It's not like they've fallen off or are having a slow start. Red Sox haven't fallen off, but they had a slow start. They have, and... and but right now, I think you look at the Mariners and, and what this means for the quote-unquote step back is I think you've got to kind of put it on pause right now. I don't think the Mariners are going to go out and make a move that breaks the bank or anything like that. They're not going to go out and sign Craig Kimball, Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel, two of, the be- two of the best free agents out there still because those guys – come with that draft pick compensation that if you do sign either one of those guys, you have to give up a high draft pick for what you're signing. The Mariners are in a position to where they, they're trying to acquire as much young talent as possible, whether that be through the draft 
or that be through trades. And they've done that, or at least they've tried to do that over the last offseason in acquiring J.P. Crawford and Jared Kelnick, Justice Sheffield. We saw it today, Eric Swanson making his Major League debut, Dom Thompson-Williams, all these guys that are still a couple years away. But if the Mariners are for real, I don't know if you can keep stepping back and hope to continue this trend of winning ball games. If you want to step back, that means guys like Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce have to be on the trade block. And right now, those are two of your biggest bats in your lineup. Well, and I think when I look at it, I think it also means time, right? Like in addition to a top priority of your step back being to acquire prospects and build up that, not just that farm system, but, but young guys that are ready to go next year. Part of that is, is getting them playing time. And when you're 10 games back um, or you know that you aren't contending, you can risk having errors and you can risk having um, a guy give up, you know, a couple of home runs. And I yeah, think that and- what I wonder is, if you start getting ahead, do do guys like J.P. Crawford and Justice Sheffield not see the field as early as they might have otherwise? Now, I think it becomes the opposite of that. I think the Mariners then try to use Justice Sheffield as much as possible. We've seen it in years past where guys who get called up in the middle of the season can give a team a lift and can give them... Uh, just a boost heading into the postseason. We saw it, what, three years ago when Edwin Diaz came up. From double-A, they moved him to the bullpen, and he became a lockdown reliever. He wasn't the closer right away. Steve Ciszek was, but then Edwin Diaz moved into that role. We've seen it in years past, too, with uh, I think one of the most famous examples of this is Francisco Rodriguez, former closer of the Anaheim Angels. He came in uh, and, and really gave their bullpen a lift so much so Did he set the record? He does. He has the single-season saves record. It wasn't that season, though, but he did help Anaheim win a World Series title in 2002. We've seen it in the past, too, with like Jabba Chamberlain, with the Yankees. The, these young players can be used to your benefit heading down the stretch because they're so young. They've got just so much energy to expend, and, and like you're telling me right now that you look at the Mariners' rotation – one through five. You've got Marco, Kikuchi, Mike Leak, Wade LeBlanc, Felix Hernandez. You're telling me that Justice Sheffield isn't better than at least two of those guys? But here's the thing. If he comes out and he doesn't have a strong few starts, then do you say, all right, nope, we've got to keep winning now if you're the GM? Or do you say, let it ride out? We're not worried about a World Series this year. We want him to build up confidence. I think if he does struggle... If he were to get called up after the uh, deadline in which they're keeping him down for, so they and they can accrue that extra year of service time, if he does struggle, it helps that they still have minor league options available with him that they can send him back down and have him face a lower level competition, and he can still get those valuable reps that that players are, are so desperate for, especially at that young age. You look at the uh, American League, and, and right now they are are just in a position to take advantage, I think, of what's been given to them. Brian Kenny of the MLB Network said, if the Mariners are, in fact, going to make a run to the playoffs, they have a general manager 
in place that isn't afraid to make a deal. If you're 10 games over 500 in late June and you're, I don't know, either right around the Astros or ahead of them or somewhere, like, why would you trade them? I mean, you guys have not, I, I, I hear that you guys haven't been to the playoffs in a while. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. 18 yeah. years. I, yeah, I, I a long time. That. I hear that. So if you're in that position where suddenly, hey, we've been trying these last couple of years just to get a wild card, a wild card would be great. The second wild card in the American League, at the very least, and who knows, the way the Yankees and Red Sox are playing, maybe both wild cards will be out there. Well, you know, I think you, you owe it to yourself to get after it. And Jerry Depoto has shown in the last few years, if you have a shot, he's willing to deal. And the Mariners are in a position also where they may not need to make a trade in order to get those reinforcements. In June, they're going to get Kyle Seager back. Where they fit him in the lineup remains to be seen. It's another good problem to have, especially if Seager, what we saw from him in Peoria this season, is going to translate to the regular season because this is a guy who clearly had made adjustments to his swing, his physique. He looked like he had taken this offseason oh, very seriously. That. Yeah, we were talking about that in the sports pit during the spring games. Yeah, where it's like, oh, Kyle Seager looks different up there. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is going to be a season in which he bounces back. Unfortunately, he takes that ball off of his non-throwing hand, and he misses the season's first two months. But then you have to incorporate him back. The bullpen is going to get a couple more arms back over the course of the season with Sean Armstrong, Gerson Batista, who they got in the Edwin Diaz trade, and also Hunter Strickland, who's about out the same kind of time frame as Kyle Seager. So it's not like the Mariners have to go and sacrifice any of their young players to get help right now. We saw it today. The Mariners out on the waiver wire signing Neftali Feliz, a former big league closer, somebody who's had success in the major league level. Who knows if he makes it to the major league roster or not. It was just a minor league contract in which they signed him for, but it shows that the Mariners, even in this retooling phase that they're in, they're unafraid to make moves. Tom Murphy, the backup catcher today, the guy who started today, Mm -hmm. that was a trade made after opening day. Jerry DePoto just will not, he just refuses to sit back. And I think, regardless of where the Mariners' roster is, you know, or where actually, regardless of where the Mariners are in the standings, he just has to make moves. Like if he doesn't feel as though he's he's doing something to improve the roster, I feel like he's he feels as though, what have I done today? I haven't done, I haven't right. accomplished anything. So it might not mean as much if you're a fan. Maybe don't don't read into everything as either being a buyer or a seller. I, Is that, I, I, I think pick, so. I pick, think that's fair. I'm picking up what you're putting I, down. You have picked it up. I've put it down. We're going to pick up some more. I don't know what I'm you t- doing. I just, yeah, I, I, tried, I feel I tried. like you were going for it, that was and then check. you just crashed on that takeoff. That was a heat check transition okay. because I had been nailing them the last couple of nights. I don't know that you have. Oh, the text line, they'll agree with me. No. Curse text line, 710-710. Last couple of nights, no, I've been hit. No, Curtis. Okay. Well, I'll try it again. No, they've been okay. Yeah, okay. This one was awful. Yeah. It's, it was my birthday this week. I feel like my leash was a little longer. I could have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Four down territory, though. That's coming up next. Four of the biggest questions surrounding the Seahawks right now, answered by Seahawks insider Stacy Rost. That's coming up next. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Rost here with you. Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. Four down territory right here, Seattle Sports at Night. 
coming up in the next hour. That'd be the 8 o'clock hour. Will logic prevail in the Russell Wilson-Seattle Seahawks negotiations? We get into what somebody, a friend of the station for sure, has said about the matter. That's coming up at 8 o'clock, about 10 to 12 minutes from now. But as we do, wrapping up every first hour of Seattle Sports Night, it's the end of the first half, so that means it's four down territory. Got four opportunities to get seven in the end zone. Let's get to first down. Number one. First down to Seahawks insider Stacy Rost here. Stacy. Yep. Mel Kiper Jr., noted draft guru from ESPN, said he would give the Seahawks an A grade if they select Boston College offensive lineman Chad Lindstrom and Iowa State wide receiver Hakeem Butler with their first two draft picks. Would like would I would also you give also a- give that an A grade if they went offensive lineman and wide receiver with their first two picks? No. Here's... I feel like Mel Kuyper, it's like this stare down with Seattle where every year he's like, you need an offensive lineman. You need to get one. And then they don't do it in the first round with the exception of Jermaine Effetti. And then he kind of doubles down the next year where he's like, you'll be sorry. But don't you kind of get that vibe where it's like. I think he gave, I think he was the one that gave the Gave them an F for 2012. Yeah. And it turned out to be the best draft class in franchise history. I mean, it's not easy to be a mock drafter or a draft analyst because you are making predictions um, based on information, limited information you have about like the long-time career of someone or, or how good a fit they'll be. Uh, that being said, offensive line and wide receiver especially are clearly two needs, what feels like perpetual needs now on offensive line for Seattle. But clearly their biggest need is on defense. And not just that, but I would, I think, see them taking uh, like a secondary pick before they would even get to offense. That it would be, you know, you get someone on your edge or to shore up your defensive line, even a defensive tackle. And then you take someone in the secondary to kind of add depth there. I just think that it's with four picks. You have four picks, and he's implying then that you would have to use the one in your first round without trading back. Your four picks... You're telling me you're half not going to... Half of them are already going to go to the offense? Half of them are going to go to the offense. I don't think so. Come with it, Mel Kuyper. Number two. I'm correct. Yeah, second down. Seahawks apparently were reportedly close to signing Austin Safarian Jenkins, former UW Husky, former New York Jet, Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Jacksonville Jaguar. He's bounced around the NFL. If they were so close to signing Austin Safarian Jenkins with the tight end room looking as it is right now with Nick Vanette, Ed Dixon, Mm -hmm. a healthy Will Disley, does that mean they're not satisfied with what they have currently at tight end? Mm, Austin is a player that they've looked at a few times. So I think that each team has this kind of network of players where they're always on your radar. Obviously a local player. And, um, you know, whether it's guys that are kind of on and off the practice squad all the time or guys that you just regularly hear about them being tied to, I think he's one of those and and is probably going to pop up in that conversation. Um, That being said, there's certainly some questions about the tight end room. This team is undeniably uh, happy with their selection of Will Disley. 
Um, they mentioned him multiple times toward the end of the season when we would ask questions about which rookies took a step forward. Um, even though Will Disley went out so early in the season, Pete Carroll would still call back to him and mention him as someone they're very excited about to have long-term and to see what he brings to the table next year. So I think the only question that you have with him is that he's coming off um, a really tricky injury. I don't think it's common that Jimmy Graham came back and played every single game after that. I don't think that's expected and, with and, this injury typically. And Jimmy Graham is just a physical freak. That's the thing. Like, he, he genetically blessed in ways that no one else on earth could really match. Except for myself. True. But I'm trying to be the average person here. Yeah, when you, when you came back from your patellar injury, you made it back by training camp, right? Yeah, I did like a two-week turnaround. Wow. Yeah. Like, you just blew it out and then <laughs> No, back. but it's, I mean, it's no joke. It's emotionally and physically draining. Um, one of the worst sports injuries you could have. And uh, I think that it's, it's going to be really hard to come back from. It doesn't mean he can't do it, as Jimmy Graham showed you know, in 2015 going into 16. Um, but it's it's going to be something that is kind of – any question about Will Disley is going to be circling around the injury going into camp. And then with Nick Vanette, I think he's in the final year of his deal. And with Dixon, I think you're just looking at someone that, you know, how long is he going to be around here? So, yes, there are questions with all three players. I just – I don't think that – I wouldn't read too much into them looking at Austin Sperry and Jenkins. Let's get to question three. Number three. Third down. Four down territory right here. Seattle sports at night. These Russell Wilson negotiations were now four days away. The deadline is going to be Monday, April 15th. Simple question. Yes or no. Do you really believe that Russell Wilson's deal is going to get signed on or before April 15th? No. Do you? I had been hopeful of it when the deadline was announced. I was like, oh, deadlines get deals done. That's what Andrew Brandt of Monday Morning Quarterback has said. That's what a lot of people in the NFL have said. But based on what we've heard from our very own Jake Heaps, based on what we've heard from a lot of people close to the situation, it sounds like the two sides are further apart than where you would kind of hope they'd be at this point. Well, and that's such an early deadline. I mean, it doesn't, it's, I mean, according to reports, he set, he and his agent set that deadline back in January. So it was still four months out, but it's significantly further ahead in that calendar than was his kind of training camp deadline. So because of what we have heard recently within the last couple of days, I also do not believe that the Russell Wilson deal gets done on or before April 15th. Yeah. I'm going to be really annoyed if it does. If you're you're going to have a lot of work. We're all, we're all going to have a lot of work. That's the thing. If done. I sit down to watch Game of Thrones, I have a countdown in the office. I've been marking down every single day since like 60 days ago. It's been a long time. If I've, that gets yeah. interrupted with some Russell Wilson news, Ooh. I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to be real mad. There we go. Number four. Fourth down, last opportunity to get seven on the board before we head into the break. Stacy, the Seahawks, they are widely projected to not just trade back, but also go for a defensive player with the first pick in with their first pick of the draft. But is there any offensive player out there you see that would be worth staying put for Seattle at pick number twenty one? I'm gonna start off by saying no. 
just overall before I before I talk about this player. I think the most the best fit and maybe most talented player that could fall to them at 21 in the first round would be uh, tight end Noah Fant out of Iowa. Um, he finished with over a thousand yards in three seasons. Uh, had 11 touchdowns in a single season, which broke a school record, finished his college career with 19 touchdowns. We mentioned that tight end room. Um, I don't think it's their biggest position of need. Um, and I don't think that their biggest position of needs even reach the offense until, you know, one, two or three areas, mostly the defensive line, looking at secondary, wanting to shore up that outside linebacker group. Um which I know they did with the Kendricks and Wright extensions, but again, you're just looking at a different timeline there. So, no, I'm not expecting them to go with an offensive player. I I would not if I were in the position to make that decision, Um, but there's certainly a fit there if they pull the trigger. I'm going to give sort of a, a fifth down here, or at least my answer to if there's an offensive player, I would stay put. And take with the 21st pick, yes, DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, the guy who was just a physical freak at the Combine who had mm-hmm. the 1.9% body fat, which I don't think is humanly possible. But he's That still, guy's never been to a Taco Bell. Clearly. He so do you want that person on this yeah, team? Yeah, that's true. If you haven't been to a Taco Bell, I have trust issues with that. Like I, I just don't know if you can be fully trusted, but... To have a huge target like that for Russell Wilson to throw to and, and get involved in this passing game, we still don't know what Doug Baldwin's situation is going to be heading into the 2019 season. If you can find somebody that is got the potential of a number one wide receiver right. in the NFL, I think that is very tempting. So if they make that pick, instead of trading back, and they end up using their four picks just, just mostly where they are, do you think then would you would you look back and say oh, maybe that was a bad decision to go wide receiver in round one? No, I don't think so because I don't think Doug Baldwin has many years left in his career because there have been serious talks this off season, uh, you know, about his status. Is this going to be it for Doug Baldwin? Is he even going to be playing in twenty nineteen? And you look at the Seahawks wide receiver core outside of Tyler Lockett. Who is a legit number two threat? I don't see anybody out there. Jerron Brown had five touchdown receptions a year ago, but he's not somebody who I would be willing to throw a lot of my targets towards. And I think taking a wide receiver that early in the draft, I think even if you don't reach an agreement with Russell Wilson here over the next couple of days, I think that does signal to him that says, that says, yeah, we still value you, and we That's still want we still want to give you a lot of weapons to throw to. So the idea that valuing offense around Russell might uh, factor into those negotiations. I think so. Say, what if we spend some of that money on on helping you out instead of making it completely guaranteed? There we go. Now we don't think this deal gets done by April fifteenth. Yeah, by April fifteenth. But specifically, somebody out there thinks logic will prevail and both sides will come to an agreement. We hear from them next. This is Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.